You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, you're here, and uh, I think you've got some, uh, some questions to answer about some text messages you sent me last night. Well, I'm glad you rolled with this because uh, I was going to lead with it as well. In the first half of last night's Essendon-Hawthorne game, I sent you a text that simply just said Essendon and then the poo emoji. And then in the fourth quarter, I sent you a text that said just Essendon with the Premiership Cup next to it because the Bombers in the second half looked like a completely different team. Really strange game. Because I do understand that Hawthorne, you know, by their standards, were playing a relatively young team. I mean, if you go up and down the list, it's certainly more inexperienced than we've come to expect from Hawthorne over the last, really, over the last 15 years. But Essendon, I don't know. I mean, this still felt to me in the first half that it was more about Essendon than anything else. They looked terrible. They looked like the effort wasn't there. Uh, they had no drive when they had the ball in their hands. They looked like it was a debacle. It looked like this was going to be the way that we sort of assumed that an Essendon season would end. They would just go out meekly in a game that they probably should really win, and, and that would call an end to their season. That's exactly what it looked like. And then that turnaround is pretty staggering because they kicked 11 goals, five in the second half after kicking two, four in the first half. It is a staggering turnaround. And you know, so many... You see the tweets rolling around at halftime. Yeah, this is disgusting. It's pathetic. You know, why would Essendon bring out Joe Danaher for this? And then in the end, it, uh, it there's like yeah, there was literally tweets coming out, pay, pay Danaher whatever he wants to stay forever, which, of course, is a ridiculous <laughs> idea in terms of team building. But it's what I talked about. Like, if, if there is a risk with Danaher, you've got to get him out there. And even if they rest him over a couple of games here, the allure here, whether he is traded or if he stays with us, and they show that he can actually be a really, really good player again after his first game back in 400-plus days. Yeah, they got the Joe jump in the second half. This is actually why I thought that Essendon coming into this game might just get a boost from having him out there at all, just in terms of mentally, in terms of having that target. But at halftime, it didn't look like it. But in the second half, he got his hands in the footy and you you did feel it. As soon as he did take that first mark, as soon as he did kick that first goal, you felt that the, the Bombers were going to be tough to slow down. They really did get the momentum from Danaher being back in the team. And it's not just a target. I mean, clearly he was great. Overall, he had 14 disposals. 12 of those came in the second half and three goals, three. I mean, <laughs> you know, any key forward in footy in 2020 would take those numbers, but I think the thing that you forget with Danaher, he's just so powerful. That kick that he's got, there was even... And and I think, just to go back to what we've seen from him in the past, his set-shot goal-kicking has been a little all over the place, particularly from within 50. And it was interesting, whether it was nerves, whether he didn't want to go back, but he took a mark early in the game and and really just just sort of off two steps, just quickly had a shot from 55, 60 out, and it just sailed into the stance. I mean, this guy's hasn't lost any power when you consider the injuries he's had through the sort of the growing the hip area, all those concerns that he's had. I mean, he looks great, honestly. I mean, I, I think the question for him will be, 
is he able to sustain that through the next few weeks? Certainly, as Essendon try and make a push for the finals, because I mean, uh, what was it, 487 days since he played yeah, a game of like footy? That. So it's it's a hell of a long time. So the question whether he can sustain it, I don't know. Was the reaction after the game uh, a little over the top? Yes, but uh, I'm fine with it. It's exciting to see this guy playing footy again. Yeah, fantastic to have him back. Fantastic to have him playing like that. Oh, I talked about it yesterday. Like the goal kicking can be a worry, but having six shots of goals, like, who cares? In a game where they win and he takes 10 grabs and he's his second highest score involvements. Uh, for the Essendon team, of course, you know, six of those eight score involvements were himself scoring, but it's still impressive and you know, second highest on the entire ground. Um, behind Merritt, who had nine. And that's what you want from those forwards. And it, it frees up these other guys, as we said, like to have a different sort of impact. You know, Stringer kicked a couple in this one. You're just you're pushing everyone sort of down the, the list in terms of where they are in that pecking order and making other teams worried about, you know, this is a forward we have to pay attention to. And it's fantastic for that first game back. I wouldn't be surprised if he sits out one of these remaining few games. Just... In case you know he's feeling a little bit sore, and they try to preserve something of uh, his health, but it's it was the best audition for the rest of his career that I reckon he could possibly have hoped for. So as far as Hawthorne goes, clearly we know they don't have James Sicily right now. Uh, clearly a key player for their backline for that intercept mark in reading the play breaking up uh, those forward 50 entries. But if you look at the clearances for this game, and, and I didn't know the numbers were this drastic. I'm looking at it right now. But watching the game, it certainly felt like an avalanche, particularly in the second half. Essendon won the clearances 40 to 19, and the center clearances 20 to 6. It's unbelievable, that that, that amount of dominance uh, around their clearances. I, I don't know how. And by the way, Josh, you'll be very pl- pleased to hear this. Hitouts 37 to 22 in favor of Hawthorne. But, uh, you know, I, I just, it, it was a dominance out of the middle. And we know Jay Gomir is not there for Hawthorne. But one guy that I, I did really want to touch on, he, he's become this year, I, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I, I do think sometimes we're too quick to, to label people stars, but he's on the verge. He's on the verge of being a star. That's Andrew McGrath, 32 disposals uh, at 10 clearances. 10 clearances on the day. So you talk about that dominance. And we've spoke about Essendon at the start of the year. They were searching for that other guy uh, to, to support Dylan Shield. Uh, that was the guy that they needed someone else to stand up around those clearances because the uh, discrepancy between Shield right at the top and the other players on the Essendon list, even as, as recently as four or five weeks ago, was unbelievable. I mean, it was they, they needed support for him. Andrew McGrath just continues to get better and better every single week. And 10 clearances, that's a huge, huge number. Yeah, it, to go with those 32 disposals, uh, he has really stepped it up to become... You know, more, it was that guy who was playing a lot of halfback prior to this season. And mm-hmm. you're really stepping it up to be you know, not, not a star, I think I, I agree with that, but a, a pretty high-level midfielder. Um, and, and what they need to start, I think, still think they need a little bit more in, in that midfield. And we've talked about that the same sort of player and the same size player that they have had and the problems they've had in that area. But... They needed to win this one. It looks pretty rough, and maybe we get go a bit over the top with an 11-goal half, but it's an 11-goal half. Not many of those have happened this season, so that's something to build on. It was against Hawthorne, who were missing some pretty important players, but it is something that they needed to keep themselves in the mix. What did you think of the uh, of Devin Smith's move? Um, I don't even know which quarter it was in, where he uh, sort of slid in and took out the legs with his legs. It was a weird move. No, this is crap. I don't like this at all, because we, we see it, and... Yeah, if you look at other sports, soccer, whatever, whatever sport you want to look at, and you want to talk about the the, the reason why they brought in the below the knees rule, we've spoke that I, I think it's been lost a little bit on on what that rule was brought in for. But this is honestly 
kind of the, the the mechanism of a move that could break someone's ankle or leg like and yeah that might be a little bit dramatic what are the chances of that happening maybe pretty slim but he was nowhere near the ball uh gunston it was was laying a, a perfectly normal shepherd there was nothing wrong with anything that he did and devin smith just literally tried to take his legs out from behind and slid with his knees i mean it, it's it's bullshit like that is this dangerous move I, I think you should get suspended for that i don't think that there's any place for to be doing stuff like that I think he should be as well. I don't know if, whether he will, but he's had a few dickhead-type moves during the season as well, like bumps off the ball, bumps when players stopped, um, little things where he hasn't really controlled himself. Um, so it's not it's not out of character. I'll say that. I'm not saying he's a completely dirty player, but it's, it's not a surprise when you see it was Devin Smith doing it with some of the things that he has done during this season. Um, some other news we've got to talk about, though. Um, Joel Selwood, we talked about him and then him not playing. They're saying it's actually knee soreness now, uh, and the Cats get back Taylor and Tui for tonight's game against the Bulldogs, while Tory Dixon makes his first appearance for the entire season as Ben Kavara is out for the Dogs. How concerning is this Selwood knee news? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I think we've certainly seen the last couple of years that Selwood is, is slowing down. I think that everyone can see that, but we also saw... Last year, uh, in, in the prelim, he was pretty good. Certainly in that game against West Coast, the this, this semifinal, he was unbelievable. So, uh, again, I, I'm, I think that the days are gone of Selwood having a huge influence across the home and away season. Uh, I think that you look at the stuff he's put his body through <laughs> over the course of his career, I, I think that he was always going to be a guy that was going to slow down and perhaps slow down quickly. He still can be a good player, there's no doubt, but you look at the way they've used him uh, less time through the... Uh, through the actual middle in those center bounce clearances. I think they understand where he's at, but the one place they do want him healthy is in the final. So I, I, I don't think there would be any major concern. I, I just don't think that they would be willing to uh, risk any type of soreness. Uh, this is the catch feel like, whether they want to admit it or not, it, it does feel like this is this is the year that they think they can get one. So I, I just think that they're being overly cautious there. Yeah, I, I, would, uh, I would agree with that. But there was also, Kane, another game last night. Uh, Richmond, West Coast, we talked about the West Coast going back to Queensland. I don't think the result of this game should mm. be any indication of them not being able to win away from uh, Perth, but they didn't win away from Perth. They're now two and four out in the games outside of Perth, I believe. Um, and Richmond gets the 27-point victory, and they looked they looked really, really, really bloody good in this one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the Tigers look great. And uh, they've been settled in Queensland for a little while now. Again, I, I don't place any emphasis on the venue because uh, you know, outside of this game being at the MCG or this game being at Optus Stadium, I, I don't, you know, it's a neutral ground. I, I, I think that these are two just really, really damn good teams. If they played again tomorrow, maybe West Coast win. Yeah, you know, I think there were some things that didn't quite go their way. Jeremy McGovern is really interesting. We sp- spent a lot of time talking about him through the week. Zero intercept marks in this game after he had a season-high eight last week, an AFL season-high eight last week against GWS. And I think with a guy like McGovern, and you can go back and watch games, and I spent a fair bit of time through the week going back and watching that GWS West Coast game for something else I was working on. And he just... If you make it easy for McGovern... And if you really telegraph where you're going with the ball and you show where you're going to kick and it's expected the spots that you're going to get to, McGovern is just going to kill you. He's going to crush you. He's going to drop back. He's going to create those two-on-ones and take those intercept marks. 
I think the thing that Richmond had going for them last night is at times you got Dusty down there, but then you got Tom Lynch, then you got Jack Rewalt, and Rewalt's starting to look pretty damn good again after a rough patch early in the season. So you have those three targets that I, I don't know. Who are they going to kick to? There's not one clear target. There's not one person for uh, Jeremy McGovern to zone in on. So his effect was virtually nil last night. I think the Tigers benefited from having that extremely potent forward 50, and that's the key to West Coast. Take McGovern out of the game, and uh, you know you certainly increase your chances. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, we've spent so much time talking about just how good he is at reading those sort of balls. Richmond still managed nine marks inside 50, um, but he didn't stop any of them. The matchup, the, well, not the matchup, the selection decision to have Soldo and Nankervis, they did overlap a little bit, both guys in the 60s yes. in terms of, uh, of game time. So they didn't play huge amounts together, but there was still some overlap between those two. Soldo really seeming to dominate the, the ruck contests in terms of how much time is in there. He had 22 hitouts to nine. But Nankervis, you know, just, just, just around and yeah, playing together, and it worked okay in this one. Yeah, it did, and I was laughing at home, actually, thinking about our podcast yesterday. They both kicked back-to-back goals within about 30 seconds of each other as well, which I was laughing about. It's interesting. I mean, again, I I don't think that there's any chance that both of these guys are in the team come finals time. Uh, Did it have an impact going against Nick Nat and having these two fresh bodies just jumping into him? Because that's... that's not your. Let's be honest. We're not talking about Tim English here when we're talking about Soldo and Nankervis. This is two big bodies jumping into Nick Nat. So maybe you get an advantage out of that. Funnily enough, they actually won the hitouts 31-30, which I do think is a uh, is a, an interesting stat to look at against West Coast because Nick Nat can just jump all over guys uh, with his athleticism. So that's certainly noteworthy. And the clearances um, uh, overall 29 to 32. So again. I think having those two big bodies when Nick Nat doesn't have the opportunity to run and jump over you is certainly critical because they won the stoppage clearances 20 to 17, but lost it out of the center 15 to nine. So I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of horses for courses, as they say, with the, against West Coast. Maybe you are benefited playing with two big bodies. Yeah, it is something that I guess other coaches would now, how many other coaches have that um, ability to throw two big bodies at yeah. Nick Nat. That's a good point, yeah. Like, and guys like that, you like Nankervis and Solder, how many clubs have that option? But it might be something that's worth looking at over the next couple of weeks. Like the Bulldogs are going to go up against West Coast for their next game against Geelong. Do they throw another Ruckman in there along with English to try and ease that ease that burden on him? Do they you know, give Jordan Sweet his first game as, as a as a big, strong guy to get in there and, and bash into Nat Nui? Maybe. Maybe that's something that the clubs try to curb that influence and then let the midfielders go at it you know, head-to-head and, and have confidence in that because that's sort of how things worked in this one. So it was a, uh, a discussion that we talked about and we wanted to see how it worked, and, and it worked well. But uh, one player I've been really impressed with, and you've written it here in the um, run sheet, I was impressed with him almost from round one, and that is uh, Shea Bolton who is seemingly... Like he was dropped earlier in the season when Richmond was struggling. Uh, I've been really impressed with what he's done. I thought he looked really good early on in the year. Even going back to that Richmond-Collingwood draw where yeah, both teams were a little underwhelming, I thought Bolton looked impressive during that time, but he's taken his game to another level from there and another 16 disposals uh, last night, another five clearances. Uh, he's just elevating himself to be not not a star-level player, but someone who I don't think he's going to be uh, left out of the team at any point in the near future. No, not at all. I mean, this guy is still only 21 years old. And I think the evolution we've seen with Bolton this year is going from being a, a basically a, a full-time half forward or medium-sized forward. We know Richmond have a lot of those guys to moving into the middle. So with all these stats, of course, we 
take into account the I, I guess it's a it's around a 20 percent decrease in playing time but even with that he's taken his clearances per game from 1.5 up to 3.5 his disposals have gone from 14 to just under 17 and he's kicking more goals as well so uh, yeah he's, he's turned into a genuine midfielder I think that they they really in a in a kind of roundabout way benefited with Bolton being able to go into the midfield and play all this really good uh, midfield time out of the center bounces that he wouldn't have had because they've missed guys uh, like uh, Prestia has been out for quite a while. Uh, Trent Cochin has missed a, a bunch of time. Shane Edwards has been out, obviously, as we know as well. So they missed all these experienced guys that Hardwick probably you know, just plays them in there. I mean, he has to. They're their best guys in the midfield. Bolton's benefited from that for sure. But yeah, he's still only 21. I mean, he's, he's pretty damn impressive in year four. Uh, he has only actually played 40 games. So uh, last night, I guess, would have been game 41. So when you think about that, uh, that that in itself is kind of crazy. This guy hasn't even played 50 games and he's looking this good. He's third in the AFL in inside 50s per game. Mm-hmm. He is uh, sixth in total score involvements, ninth in score involvements per game, which is, I guess, not a name you'd expect to see in the top 10 of score involvements per game. But that shows that play around that half-forward level uh, as well. He's 19th in bounces per game, so yeah, good running uh, power also. And in now, again, moving into that midfield, he had 29 disposals last week, another 16 this week. A couple of pretty big games from Bolton as he is establishing himself and sometimes getting that half-forward guy who's a midfielder who can be involved in scoring, which is, I guess, not. it's maybe more of a Michael Walters type of a player, is really hard to find. And just finding that guy who can yeah, push forward and kick goals, but also move into the midfield and set up others, it is a hard role to fill and do it accurately, and he's or do it at a high level, and he's doing it well. No question. The other guy that we have to talk about, we always talk about him, but Dusty, let me let me just ask you this right off the top. And they did talk about it on Fox Footy, so if anyone was watching that, I don't want to just run over what they said. But I noticed it during the game. Sometimes when I watch the Tigers, I'm like, are Richmond players scared of Dusty? Like, Is he friends with these guys? Does he actually like them sometimes? I don't know. He just gives off that vibe. But last night, he was fired up. He was showing more emotion than I think we ever really see during a home and away game. But is he the best player in the league by a mile or not when he's at his best? Because, jeez, I I think he is. I mean, you watch a game like last night, he only had 17 disposals, but everything he does, when he is is switched on and when he sets himself for a game, I don't think it's close that he's the best player in the league. Maybe you could argue there's some game-to-game and in-game consistency issues with how he plays and how often that um, intensity is ramped up. But when it is... He's pretty irresistible. It's pretty. It's pretty hard to stop when it when it is up. Now again, as I said, look, he's not always at that level, um, and he will sometimes play down to what's happening in the game. And he can become one of those guys that if things aren't going well, then maybe he tries to, to do too much at the detriment of his team, like get pinged, holding the ball multiple times, you know, try and do everything himself, and that not bringing his teammates in, and that can be a problem at times. But again, when when it's going. Uh, yeah, there's there's few players that you'd want ahead of him, I'd say. Yeah, I, I think that happens more in games against bad teams, though, than it yeah. does, you know. To, I mean, they, they come in against West Coast last night, and he was the best player on the ground by a mile for mine. And again, he only had those 17 disposals, but he had six tackles as well, a couple of goals. Everything he does is damaging. 
Uh, he had 320 metres gained. And you compare this to a guy like Andrew Gaff, who had 32 disposals, only 301 metres gained, 20 handballs. I mean, Gaff had double the amount, the, the footy in his hand twice the amount of times. And you talk about the impact that had on the game, and it just wasn't even close. I, ah, Dusty, he's just... And, and I don't think there's any player that's more intimidating than him as well when you, when you have him down in the forward 50. He's just so powerful. He's out there. He's shoving blokes around left, right, and center. And he, rather than bump, and I, I think this is the interesting thing with Dusty. We talk so much about the bump. Dusty's very rarely going to find himself in trouble for bumping because he just literally just shoves people out of the way. He's so strong. Uh, he's fun to watch when he's not playing against your team. There's no doubt about that. But again, uh, he's proven uh, when it comes to big games, uh, there's no one better in the comp than him uh, right now and probably hasn't been over the last three years. When you talk about midfielders that go forward, yeah, is he the most dangerous like, ever? You've got Dangerfield and Fife that do it often now. Uh, Pally does it a bit now. But yeah, going back, Michael Voss, um, Nathan Buckley used to do it quite a bit. Is he the most dangerous in that role? Oh, man, I don't know. That's tough. James Hurd, obviously, was pretty damn uh, yeah. good at it in yeah, his time. I, I don't even know what but, I classify Hurd. Was he a forward? Was he a move? I don't even know what the hell to classify him as. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, I, I Actually, I wonder if there was some sort of split to, to know what time he spent in the midfield and how much he spent up forward. But obviously, I, I always find it funny, and I say this across all sports, I don't really talk about all-time lists unless I've seen them play. But obviously, the guy that everyone talks about more than anyone, Lee Matthews, obviously, must have been a pretty handy forward as a guy that played in the midfield as well. But there's a bunch of them. But no doubt in my time, watching the footy, it feels like he's as damaging as anyone. Yeah, that's that's what it feels like. And there's so many. Oh, Cripps is another one these days that does it now. But you just... But they don't. So just to jump in, but this is the funny thing. Because you think about... I mean, Fife, he's got decent skills. But Cripps and Dangerfield... Yeah, they don't. They win the footy, but you never feel confident they're actually going to kick the goal. But Dusty, that's the that's the thing that sets him apart. His skills around inside fifty and kicking for goal are unbelievable. Yeah, the, the, he is definitely the best kick out of that entire group in terms of you know shots at goal and, and being able to spot up guys. All of those other guys, uh, Dangerfield, Bonton, Pally, Fife, Cripps, they all have their massive struggles with kicking for goal. Yeah, um, yeah, Fife probably less so than the other three, but uh, Dusty, it, it, it goes the other direction for him. Yeah, and 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 this is this is the funny thing, and I've always argued this for um, people that will uh, you know sort of talk shit about Dangerfield, but the same now because Cripps is going to get it. I mean, this is going to happen for him moving forward if the Blues uh, don't go on to win a flag or whatever it is. Cripps will get the same thing. The older he gets, that people will say, well, you know, he's, he he butchers the footy. He can't use the footy, but it, those players do so much around the ground and so much around the contest that that's what makes them great having the ability to then finish and kick is just, that takes you to, uh, I don't know, I mean, all-time status, which is why Dustin Martin, he's not an accumulator like those guys. If he was, though, I still think we would talk about him on even another level because that's the only thing with him. He's almost like, I was thinking about this, and uh, not to continue this conversation for too long, but I've brought up Cyril Rioli before as a guy that everyone sort of said, well, he's the ultimate 10-possession player. And they always said that, and it's true. He would get his 10 possessions and the impact on the game he would have would be unbelievable. Well, Dustin Martin is basically Cyril Rioli on steroids because he he's the 18 possession player. Rarely do you see Dusty get 30 plus, but the impact he has on the game with the 18 is just unbelievable. And I, I think, again, you, you, you swap the accumulation of Cripps, Dangerfield, Fife, these guys for the effectiveness of, of Dusty and all around. I mean, you're talking about perhaps... <laughs> yeah, perhaps four of the top five players in the league. Anyway, we're, we're you know we're really clutching at straws here to to say anything negative about those guys, but it's certainly what separates him. 
It is. There's no doubt about that. But we have other games to look at now over the weekend. And Carlton Collingwood, it's always a game that is big on people's minds. It's a rivalry game. But this one's actually got, and it hasn't been the case for many, many years, it's actually got some real implications in terms of the finals, Kane. Oh, it does. And again, we've spoke about these games that can swing the top eight on the run home. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's an example of how this can happen, but you feel that only one of these teams is going to get in because they're fighting with, with a bunch of six to try and get uh, one of those final two spots in the eight. So you think the, the loser of this game, particularly if it's Carlton, is left in a really bad spot. So it is weird that this game is going to be at the Gabba. Collingwood would have struggled. Uh, yes, they got the win last week, but I'm still not all that convinced about them. We'll wait until the teams come out. We'll see if they go with that two-pronged tall forward line with Dusty Cameron and Mason Cox as well. But for the Blues, you know, they, 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 they sort of they snuck that win over, over Frio, they got, which sort of felt like they got the one back for Hawthorne. That's the game that we always go back and think about. Carlton, the one thing they've been for most of the season is competitive. They've always been competitive. So I think that Collingwood should go into this one at least expecting that uh, this is going to be a fight. This is going to be a, a tough game, and Collingwood's going to have to pull their finger out, honestly. I mean, they've, they've been struggling for too long now. They are. They, they're going to have to do that. This is, you know, Collingwood wins this one, and it does really start to, to solidify them. Um, seen a lot of sort of um, statistical projection sites think that you know winning nine games with a good percentage gets you into the finals this year. Colin was on seven and a half at the moment, so yeah, two more wins out of their last few games here is gonna out of their last four will probably yeah put them in the finals. So this is super important for them. Whereas Carlton sitting at six and six, they they, they I think they lose this one. Carlton's in in massive strife, um, but yeah, on form is Collingwood's had the wins, but they haven't been. Encouraging, and then the one where they come up against a, a strong team, they got pumped. So who who is playing the better footy at the moment? I, I think it probably is Carlton, but I'm not massively confident either way. Yeah, I think it's probably Carlton. I think the big question here, uh, again, we know the Pies are going to have no Adam Chulor, Scott Penderbury's come back, but uh, who plays on Crips in this one? We just spoke about him, but he's a bit of a, he's a I mean, he's always a danger. But I, I don't know who's the guy for Collingwood that goes to him in the midfield. I don't think you can afford to let him run a market, particularly around the center clearances, because this Carlton forward line has just been kind of sneakily dangerous all season long. I know at the start of the year we looked at him and said, well, no Charlie Kernow. Obviously, that's a huge uh, loss for them up four. But Harry Mackay has been unbelievable, to be honest. I mean, he's exceeded where I thought he was going to be at this season. And if they get this parade out of the center, particularly with a guy like Cripps, I think this one's going to be a territory game because we know that the Pies struggle to score. So they can't afford to give up goals from center clearance. And Cripps is obviously, as always, the guy that stands out. Yeah, he is. So how is how is that Collingwood midfield going to go up against him? Collingwood's got, obviously got some power in that midfield as well. Um, yeah, who... Who do you think has Crisp, them? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if Crisp is a guy. Taylor Adams has he's been winning so much of the ball, and without Trelaw, I don't know whether they would bother going down that path. As Penderbury, I don't think they go with a head-to-head. I, I'm not sure. I, I, and then they've got a bunch of smaller midfielder guys that I think Cripps would just monster. So I, I don't see an obvious option in the middle. Yeah, it's it, it is hard to to really put your finger on who that guy is going. It's not gonna, it's not going to be side bottom. Or anything along those lines. I wouldn't have thought that it's not the guy that they'll uh, that they'd be putting in into the middle to try and slow him. Or maybe they do. I'm trying to look look down their list of who do they throw. Does Maine play more defensive? Move mm. up a little bit. I don't. I don't really think so. 
it's, this it's is fun. where not having the teams is, is yeah. sucks on a, on a Friday. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I don't know why they haven't gone back to the regular team announcements, but hey, of course, they'd have to revert back from that after after this week with Footy Frenzy beginning again. But Kane, I reckon we might uh, might wrap it up there. Uh, another episode of Locked On AFL, another week of Locked On AFL in the books. Of course, the Locked On AFL Cup happening tonight. Just glad I don't have to talk to you tomorrow, or maybe I'd be pissed off that I don't have to talk to you tomorrow because I could have uh, could have really gloated in the fact that the Bulldogs get the win tonight over the Cats. But we'll both be watching that one tonight. And guys, uh, thank you for joining us, Kane. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think either way. Unlike last night where I had nothing on the line, I don't think I'll be sending you first quarter text messages tonight, put it that way. No, I don't. There'll be a lot of concentration, a lot of nail-biting going on in tonight's game. Hopefully uh, hopefully the good guys come out on top. Subscribe, guys. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Jonathan Giles. 